Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is my good friend and anthropomorphic centipede, Jim Rodeman. That's right, uh, I'm a centipede today and uh, even with a um, hundred <laughs> legs of which none of them would have opposable fingers or thumbs, um, I managed to play this game because it's just that good. Hell yeah. Centipede approved. Hollow Knight. Today's game is Hollow Knight, which is a Metroidvania developed and published by Team Cherry in 2017. Elevator pitch for Hollow Knight is, in my opinion, Dark Souls Atmosphere meets Metroidvania. That sound right to you, Jim? Uh, I, I could not describe it any more perfect uh, myself. Right on. Before we get into Hollow Knight, though... Jim, other than Hollow Knight, what have you been playing lately? Uh, so, actually, after we recorded last time, um, there was a brief period of time where I went back to Hades, because that game is, is just that good. Um, but as of recording this, um, I just want to timestamp this for people who are listening to this um, <laughs> hundreds of millions of years in the future. Right. Um, the Sora just came out for as the final DLC character for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. That's um, right. So so with that, um, that game kind of like comes to a close. And, um, you know, I honestly, what, there's probably over 90 characters on that. I can't think of anyone else that really needs to be added to that game. Yeah. Once you start, once you start seeing like the lists of like, you know, fan requests for you know, Smash Brothers, it's like, uh, add the dude from Doom um, or like Goku or something like that. It's like, it's starting to get ridiculous, the things that people are starting to request. So it's, I, I kind of agree. They've, they've pretty much hit most of the big franchises. I would like to see Waluigi in there. I think Waluigi continues to get the shaft. But other than that, you're right. <laughs> So uh, I just wanted to bring that to attention. Um, the only other thing that I really quickly wanted to, that I am playing um, is this collectible card game called um, Legends of Runeterra, which is based on the League of Legends uh, MOBA game. And uh-huh. uh, I used to play a ton of League of Legends back when I was in Korea before you. Right. And then um, you were the OG. Well, so is it still just huge out there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's still number one as far as like the games people uh, play when they have time to play games. I think so. Fair enough. Well, um, I stopped playing that after returning to America because um, the MOBA community is just the absolute worst on the planet. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, dude. (laughs) Uh, but the League of Legends universe, I always, I always actually kind of liked the characters. So um, this is nothing more than a simple collectible card game in the vein of Hearthstone. Um, there is literally no more um, complexity to it than that. But um, I probably sink about an hour a day into that. I've been doing that for about a year now. Right on. Is that is that game free? It is completely free to play. Um, the only thing that you can pay for are cosmetics. Um, okay. I th- I think that um, 
online com- competitive games have sort of come and gone for me. But the thing that I like about this one is, and most card games, is that there's no like reaction time. It's all turn based. So I can take my time taking my turn, and then and then you can. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's something that uh, card games. Like, I, I guess maybe that's why I like uh, the only roguelikes other than Hades, which we talked about the last time you were on the show. Most of the roguelikes that I like are the card game roguelikes, like Monster Train and Slay the Spire. And maybe that lack of reaction time, like, I'm not going to lose because, like, I'm just not, I don't have Twitch skill for something. I'm going to lose because my strategy sucks. Um, and I, I think I prefer that. And that's interesting. I do need to still play Slay the Spire. You've been telling me about that for a while. Yeah, and now I'm going to tell you about Monster Train because that game is like Slay the Spire, but with an added small bit of like tower defense, but not in a stupid tower defense. I don't like tower defense games, but Monster Train um, is really good. It's just like one more layer of strategy. Um, Slay the Spire is on uh, mobile so if you're into playing games on your phone you can get Slay the Spire and it's like 7 bucks or something like that it's real good (laughs) there's no reason not to so I take it you've been playing Monster Train then? no I actually haven't been playing Monster Train for a while it just like popped up in my head as we started talking about card games Uh, something I have been playing that's not probably not going to make an appearance on the show because part of like how I pick the games to come on the show is like, do I want to talk about it? But also, can I find a guest to come on? And a game I played recently is this uh, indie game that just came out called Unpacking, which right it, we're we're recording this in kind of mid-November, so it just came out like about a week ago. And it's this it's this short little indie game where each level. Uh, your main character is moving into a new place and you're unpacking their boxes and like arranging their stuff. And that's how they tell the story, like the type of place they're moving into, the kind of stuff that they're packing and taking with them. That is the vehicle that the story's told. And it's a really like cool little, it's a, it's a very unique way to tell a story. And I'm, I really enjoyed playing it. And there's a bunch of like, hidden references that it's clearly made by people our age like there's a bunch of stories about how like kids younger than us are playing the game and there's a gamecube and no one knows what the gamecube is and they're like (laughs) complaining to the devs like i don't know what this thing is i keep trying to put the gamecube in the kitchen and like the game's telling me that's not where it goes i don't know what to do with this ancient technology (laughs) whereas people (laughs) whereas people our age would see that and be like fuck yeah gamecube hell yeah gamecube rules yeah dude best best controller yet it's i i don't buy the new controllers that nintendo is bringing out like they just released their new n64 controller and i'm 100 percent not buying that because the n64 controller is garbage but the gamecube controller i did buy so that i could play smash with it Exactly. It's the only one that we go back. Uh, very brief aside, because you brought this up and it sounds super intriguing. Um, you know, today the game that we're talking about um, is an indie game. And uh, I just feel like for the past probably five, six years, um, indie games seem to be where I think games are sort of going. I definitely think that indie games are where 
new ideas come out. Like people are experimenting a lot more in indie games and there's there's a lot more indie games now that there's all I think there's all these like, you know, development tools and it's easier for people to learn how to make games and you I don't know, you get a lot of people just making exactly the kind of game that they want to make uh in indie spaces or like uh you get people who are like, "Hey, I really liked this game." that came out when I was a kid and no one's making this game anymore. So I'm going to make it. I'm going to make a new version of it. Like that's how Stardew Valley came out or um, the, I'm also playing this game called dusk, which is uh, like a, like an old school doom or quake style game with those graphics, but it came out a couple years ago. And so there's, there's people just exploring all kinds of ideas. Now it's really cool. It's, it's really cool. And there's so much, love and passion behind these projects um, yeah, and it always yeah. seems to come out in the art i mean you can tell these people will just pour their heart and souls into these games uh but they get so fully realized um that sometimes it's just it's just hard to ignore that yeah 100 percent. they're like we're talking we're talking about an indie game hollow knight today and i just told you two games that I'm currently playing or that I played recently that are indie games. I just finished playing Disco Elysium, which will come out uh, on this show in uh, about a month or so um, after this episode is released. Uh, That's an indie game. There's just so many great uh, games here. Like you, You don't have to play whatever Nintendo is selling for $60 to find good stuff, or you don't have to play the the Sony exclusives to find really good stuff. It, it's all there uh, that indie game developers are making. Right on. Well, I'm, you know, I'm sure they all love being mentioned on the podcast. Yeah. So like, that's, that's why I want to, that's why I kind of like why I, I like doing this little discussion at the beginning of the show is like, I'll hear about some new games and I get, I don't only do episodes about like, every game I play. There's other stuff I'm playing that doesn't make it on the show for one reason or another. And if I really like an indie game, who who knows, I'll record an episode by myself if no one wants to come on and do it. But I did want to talk about unpacking because it's a unique thing. I've never played a game with that kind of idea and they executed it pretty well. So I wanted to uh, give it a little shout out on the show. Hell yeah. Give us money. Yeah. <laughs> Unpacking is on uh, is on Switch too if you're uh, if you're interested in it. It's on Switch. I'm I'm going to give it a shot then. Cool. All right, dude, let's get into Hollow Knight then. Let's take a little break and when we come back, we will get into Hollow Knight. Enjoy the music. Right, Hollow Knight time. And before we start, I want to tell everybody Hollow Knight is a game with a story, of course. And as with all of these games, uh, there's lots of boss fights and things like that. 
that are spoilable, and I think it's good to experience them for yourself. So there will be a spoiler section at the end where we'll talk about where the story goes, what happens during endings, and uh, specific boss fights and stuff like that. So if you don't want to be spoiled on that stuff, please, please, please keep your ears out for that spoiler wall. But until then, we will uh, not spoil anything uh, too terrible like that. So let's get into our histories with Hollow Knight. What brought us to playing this game? So Jim, we'll start with you. Yeah, and um, I'm going to expand on this just a little bit, and I'm very curious to hear your answer as well. So um, my history with with Hollow Knight was um, I actually heard about it from you. Um, This was about, I mean, what, six months ago now even. Um, Mm -hmm. But I... Yeah, and and you told me to play it because um, I was looking for a good game at the time, um, and I had sort of come to this series um, of which we'll get into Metroidvanias in a minute. But I have played a, a fair amount of Metroid games and and Metroid like games, but never any of the Castlevania games. And then I had also played Dark Souls, so I came to this game with all of those under my belt um and you recommended it i bought it um and i just gobbled it up right yeah i think i don't remember what it was exactly that made me recommend it i actually think i was probably just playing hollow knight at the same time and i was like hey this game rules uh if you're looking for a game you should try this so uh my (laughs) history with hollow knight is a little bit uh, complicated because I first played Hollow Knight back in like 2018 when I first got my Switch and I was looking at like these lists of like hey best Switch games and Hollow Knight was always on the lists and I think I had played you know Xenoblade Chronicles 2 which took fucking forever to play it's a long ass <laughs> game and I was ready for something a little bit different so I picked up Hollow Knight and it was so goddamn hard that I quit playing. Uh, I got really frustrated at a platforming section and the checkpoint system, which we'll talk about those in a bit. So I quit, and then I just kept thinking about, like, hey, that game was really good. I quit out of frustration. I kind of want to go back and finish that. So I picked it back up this year. This was after playing... I just want to say, like, I just got better at games over the couple years in between. I played a lot of, like, games that I think are more difficult than Hollow Knight, like uh, Bloodborne and all the Dark Souls games again. Uh, Some other 2D games that are pretty tough, like Blasphemous, I played through that. And so, yeah, I picked it up and I just devoured it as well. I played for 25 hours this playthrough. I got the bad ending, which we'll talk about when we talk about endings, and uh, I did not do any of the extra DLC content. There's a lot of DLC that's like woven into the game that you'll never notice, but there is some that is like, hey, go do these DLC things, and I didn't do those. So 25 hours is my playtime here. So I I did turn my back on, uh, mine back on, just to check. I, I played for 32 hours. Um... I was 78% complete. Um, I didn't know, uh, like, I guess necessarily what that meant. I started some of the DLCs, but like you said, they, they are so, um, 
well hidden within the world that I didn't necessarily know what I was doing until I was like, oh, this seems like, you know, a side quest of sorts. Um, but I did get started on some of those DLCs. Um, I also got the bad ending. Yeah. Uh, Dave, <laughs> quick question for you. Uh, yeah. Did you come to this game after playing Dark Souls? Oh, yeah. I played Dark Souls back in like 2013 or something like that. Yeah. Okay. So you had already gotten good when approaching this game. Yeah, but like it, it's always been hard for me to get into uh, 2D games like this that are really hard Uh, I talked about that in the Death's Gambit episode uh, before this it the the lack of that third dimension to dodge around like I find Dark Souls way easier than Hollow Knight or even a lot of Castlevania games so uh, that that loss of a dimension to avoid attacks really hurts me in a lot of games so I like I said I quit Hollow Knight when I first played because I thought it was so hard I don't think you're alone there. Going to a 2D game, especially when you've been born and raised kind of in the world of 3D, I do think it's a legitimate hurdle. Yeah, and I did not grow up playing Super Nintendo um, and stuff like that, so I d- that's not something that I have in my like muscle memory, you know, playing Super Metroid or, you know, h- harder games on those consoles. Uh, I don't have that, so... Yeah. You're in good company. Yeah. So let's talk about the kind of basics of Hollow Knight. Let's talk about kind of what makes this game special, because uh, it is a special game. We're going to talk about the story first, uh, kind of an introduction to the story. Uh, again, we're not going to get into the spoiler stuff right now. I'll just get into it. In Hollow Knight, you, you're in the kingdom of Hollow Nest, which is not hollow nest as the name might suggest it's hollow nest you're in an underground kingdom of tunnels and caves and there's a big city down there and it it fits that you're underground because this is a world of uh, like i alluded to jim being an anthropomorphic insect world and you play as a character called the knight which is a little beetle looking dude Uh, wearing a mask with two horns and you have a sword weapon Uh, it's called a nail and that's your weapon and when you start the game your only directions are to go down into the kind of underground kingdom there you find out that hollow nest is kind of fallen from grace due to an infection that is uh, spreading through the kingdom so that's really all the story set up although I will say that the story is very Dark Souls if you've played Dark Souls and have not played Hollow Knight that should give you some idea of what you're in for with this so without spoilers how do you feel about the story Jim um I think you basically described it perfectly again without like ruining it for anyone um and I really don't have a ton to add on that. It's told mostly um, through like kind of the background environments. Um, and it's left very vague and up to interpretation. Uh, but, you know, ultimately it's, it's something that every time you kind of see something uh, that looks interesting, there's, that's a piece of the story. Yeah. You you do get you know like lore things and there's interesting landmarks and stuff like that throughout. 
I'm, I'll say that like uh, stories like this, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, they're told very indirectly, and it's entire. I think it's entirely possible to play this entire game and not really know what the hell's happening in the story. The same as with Dark Souls and Bloodborne, uh, because this is my experience playing these games. I don't really pick up on this story stuff. Pretty much everything I've learned is through watching videos or listening to podcasts about Hollow Knight as well as those other games. When I play these, I just kind of like vibe with it. And like, <laughs> if I pick up, you know, the reasoning for why I'm going somewhere, why I'm doing something, that's cool. But most of the time I don't. So that's kind of my experience with this. Uh, the there's There is a lot like deeper lore in this than I'd get from playing it. Yes. I don't, I didn't really get into this too much. Um, but I think it's interesting. Like there are several relatively important, like YouTube channels that have literally been launched because of this game. Yeah. (laughs) Just like any, um, go ahead. I was just going to say, I didn't really get into them or listen to them. I just know that this game is is popular enough that, like, it is, you know, there are multiple personalities now. Just literally, they do nothing but play this game. Yeah, I've definitely watched a few of them as I was, you know, watching videos of bosses to get ready for this um, episode or trying to understand the story. Or, like, when I'm watching previews for this team's next game, which is going to be called Silk Song, which I'm extremely excited about. But yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. There is like a, a YouTube lore community, which is something that's common with Dark Souls and games like that. So we alluded to this earlier, and I'm not going to spoil like what happens or how you get this, but there is a true ending in this game. There are multiple endings. I think there's at least three or four endings to this, uh, both Jim and I got the bad ending for this. And (laughs) so I want to know people, I I want people who are listening to know if you haven't played Hollow Knight, there is a like quote unquote true ending. And if you want to get that, I think you have to look at a guide and I want to go on a little tangent for a second. I talked about this in the Death's Gambit episode, but it was in the spoiler section. I want to do this outside of the spoiler section for this episode. Uh, I hate when games do this. I think that it is basically impossible for the average player to figure out how to get the real ending for Hollow Knight. And it's the same for um, Bloodborne is a little bit less, but also like it's very, very vaguely hinted at. In Hollow Knight, I I literally have no idea how an average person, unless you are a 100% completionist, I don't know how you would find how to do the true ending here. And I really hate it when games do this. Um, I could not agree with you more. It is so well hidden. Um, I also went online and looked up a guide and in the middle of the guide, I was like, nope, not doing this (laughs) too much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that being said, um, I take a bit of a different approach to you. It's not that I necessarily hate it when a game does this part of me, um, is a little intrigued by any um, any studio that has the balls to hide this amount of content within their game. 
Um, it, to me, it shows like a huge amount of, well, like I said, balls to, to pull that off. Um, so I guess I haven't played enough games that do it, do stuff like this. If I played more, I'd probably dislike it a lot more. This had me, like I said, more intrigued than anything else. Yeah, I, I understand that. And like, this is not the only area where the Hollow Knight developers have the stones to hide stuff uh, from the player, like significant stuff. I just like, you know, I played this I played this game. This is a really long game for a Metroidvania. It's like twice as long as most other games in the genre are. And I, I just think like, the hiding goes too far in Hollow Knight. The stuff that you have to do to get to the true ending. I'm like you. The the stuff you have to do to get to the true ending has its own reputation, like almost outside of the game itself because it's so <laughs> difficult. So I knew about it ahead of time and I had already decided like I, I'm going to like try this, but I'm going to give up quickly if it sucks, like if it's not fun. And then I looked up like I couldn't find it. And then I looked up what you had to do and I was like, I would have never found this on my own. <laughs> so it's it's just like kind of, we'll talk about it in the spoiler section, but I just, this is my tangent. I talked about it in Death's Gambit. I don't really like it when games do this. Um, yeah, that's it. So, And I don't think you're wrong. I, I, I also agree, like if you are a game developer, like why would you want to hide things that you work so hard on so i don't think you're wrong well i like i said i think it's cool like hollow knight has a, an entire level that's hidden but you find it just by exploring and picking up on environmental clues and i think it's not that hard to find it if you're paying attention the the true ending stuff i even if you're paying attention i don't know how you find it, it it's it's <laughs> like a couple levels too far in this and like this is a pet peeve of mine with Dark Souls where I think they designed the game with the intention of players doing the work and like making wikis and stuff. They're, I think they're kind of famous for that. The Hollow Knight developers, I'm not sure because this is an indie game. I don't think they could have bet on like this being a huge success and there being big wikis and YouTube lore channels and stuff like that. So I'm not accusing them of this. I just, you know, this is a pet peeve of mine. So uh, I'm going to step off of this now and <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk about the, like the setting and the atmosphere. So I kind of said in the elevator pitch, this is like a Dark Souls type atmosphere. This is a very solitary game. You are alone most of the time, huge majority of the time you're by yourself. And unlike uh, Dark Souls and stuff, there's no uh, co-op, there's no invasions, this is a one-player game. You're playing this by yourself. And you're going through these levels by yourself. The sound design in the levels is very laid back while you're going. Um, really good background level music. You're going to hear it throughout the course of this episode. There's like like little piano melodies playing in the background, insect noises or enemy sounds, and the sound of your footsteps uh, with... Uh, as these games usually go, these kind of Dark Souls atmospheric games. The how, how do you feel about the setting and atmosphere? Um, I thought that this game literally oozes setting and atmosphere so well. It knocks it out on the park 
it out of the park to the point where, to me, um, we're going to start to talk about other parts of this game, like, you know, the platforming and the combat and stuff like that. Um, this, to me, was the best part. What was the setting and atmosphere? They did such a good job of, in each area, making it feel distinct. Um, I love the fact that when you get to these um, points in time where you're, the map is going to switch from, you know, one section to another, you get these little visual cues like, oh, I've been in this, um, you know, underground city for a while. And all of a sudden here, right at the edge of it, there's a bunch of like green plants. And then, and then you move into the next area and it, it would be a garden essentially. Um, it just absolutely crushes it. And I want to just um, beat a dead horse here on the music because uh, you're absolutely right. The music is, is great. I could listen to it like every day of my life. Um, I feel like it, they, every area has these unique themes and they are like sometimes very haunting and very like melancholic, but it is just so calming to hear all of these. It is, it's beautiful. It is. I can't say high enough. Yeah. Like the background music is really calm. And then when you get into combat, it kind of picks up uh, in the background. And then it, when you're done, it fades back into that like laid back background music. That's a good point you made about the, like the, the level transitions or like the area transitions. Cause when you're exploring, which you will be doing a ton in the game, like you said, all the levels have this very distinctive style and it's easy to remember. Like, you know, there are lots of areas that have plants, but the plants look different in each area. And then, you know, not all areas have plants. Some of them are filled with these, you know, mushrooms or something like that. And when you get to that, the edge of that area and you see those plants again, like the next screen over is going to be that next level. You start to think like, oh, cool I know where this is like I'm making a connection back to an area where I've already been before and it really helps you learn the map it's really good yeah the mental mapping in this one yeah, they did an amazing job of that and also you had mentioned kind of these background noises that you hear there are certain um, themes or noises that when you start to hear like you will hear them in your dreams um, because they're just so distinctive. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the little sound that the little grubs find, the collectible grubs, uh, th that's something that it, like just me memory like that. That <laughs> <laughs> or the the humming of of the map maker. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, that's. It's a good thing you brought up the map maker because that was next on the uh, notes here. So when you go into a new area, you don't have a map. Your map screen is totally black, even if you you know press the map button. And so you're you have this feeling of like pushing into darkness as you're playing, and you have to listen for that hum. You have to listen for that song from the map maker. You go and you buy a map from him. It's really cheap. Uh, you, I don't think I ever had a situation where I couldn't afford the map. And he'll give you the map. So now you have a map, but you also have to find a checkpoint before your map will get filled in with what you did. So you get this, it, I think it's the best of both worlds here. You get that feeling of exploring the unknown 
and then you get the map and the map in Hollow Knight is super, super helpful. It's very easy to tell which area is which, uh, where the rooms connect, uh, where you haven't been before. These are all really important things in Metroidvanias. And this map is huge. To my knowledge, yeah. it's much bigger than you know, a Metroid map or a Castlevania map. It, it's huge. It, it's enormous. And, and this map is, like you said, it is vital for a new player like going through this game. You need it. A real quick note on uh, the map and how the world is laid out. The game has fast travel, which is very limited, but it's very helpful. Uh, there are three kinds of fast travel, and I learned this when doing research for the show. I So I knew about the stagways, which are these giant uh, you know, stag beetles you can ride on. Uh, similar to, and they make like a, a network with fast travel nodes, not unlike the Silt Striders in Morrowind. There's also a train you can ride, and there's another one called Dream Gates, and I did not find those at all. I had no idea when I was playing. So, yeah, um, Dave, enlighten me on these Dream Gates, because I read these in the notes. I'm like, what is he talking about? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I read them in the uh the wiki and i i still don't know what they are i didn't research them further but i just put them in there to show like there is another fast travel option i didn't use it you didn't use it so it's obviously it's not necessary <laughs> you heard it here folks this is how well we know this game yeah <laughs> yeah so <laughs> yeah i mean i the the map is really big but you learn it so well and you'll learn the you know the connections between the areas so well that I never really found myself like wanting a third kind of fast travel even though it is there I never thought it was completely necessary so I agree and and the that map fits together really really well like yeah. it when you look at it and then you zoom in it it all makes sense yeah it does and kind of comparing it to a game that came out recently, like I played Metroid Dread and the map in that is like they built like six mini maps and connected them together just with, uh, you know, trains, basically. You get on a train and it takes you to the next chunk of the map. Hollow Knight is all one continuous map. And like you said, it fits together really well which is important in a Metroidvania like this. And the next thing to talk about is what makes Hollow Knight a good Metroidvania. In my opinion, this is the best Metroidvania. And I don't think it's particularly close. I think this destroys any other Metroidvania I've played. So, Jim, what makes a good Metroidvania to you? Uh, so, Metroidvanias are... It is platforming... Um, typically through an environment that uh, makes it feel as though you are exploring, uh, but there are certain locks along the way. And to get through these locks, you need a very specific set of keys. However, uh, to me, uh, and I've never played a Cat Castlevania game ever, to me, um, this system of lock and keys is non-linear. It um, lets you figure out how to do this, and and a certain lock 
might be on the opposite end of the map from the key that is necessary. And that nonlinearity is something that I don't think it's completely necessary to be like super nonlinear to be a good Metroidvania, but it does help if it's nonlinear and if they pull it off in a good way. I think it was Game Maker's Toolkit that has a YouTube video about the nonlinearity in Hollow Knight, and I'll link it in the show notes for those who want to watch it. But you'll you'll pick up one of those those keys, and in Hollow Knight, it's never just a key; it's always an ability to use, like a something that's going to be useful both in platforming and in combat, which I think is um, part of the secret sauce. It's never just like you picked up this ability that you will only use to open this type of door and you'll never ever use it when you don't have to open one of those doors. There's nothing in Hollow Knight really like that. And I think that's what makes the, that's part of the secret sauce for Hollow Knight itself. But uh, one of the good things about Hollow Knight is when you pick up one of those abilities, you instantly think like, I remember these four places where I needed this ability. And you can go check out those places. Sometimes maybe you'll just find an item there, but some, probably two of those places you'll find new levels. And then you have two brand new levels to explore, maybe on opposite sides of the map. And when you're exploring those levels, maybe you'll hit another dead end. Maybe you'll hit some boss fights, but you never quite know if you're going the right direction when you're doing it. But this game is, is guiding you in a, a very hidden way so that you're you're usually not just like wasting your time by exploring those other paths. Yeah, dude, you you brought up uh, some really good points too. Um, I think I want to like bring to attention the fact that you'll hit a point, and then this game, all Metroidvanias, but this game in particular has a really amazing ability to almost do something interesting at a point where you make a mental note of it and and you're like okay i can't do this yet but there's clearly something i'll be able to at some point and then like way later in the game hours down the road you know sometimes multiple days if um you know you've been playing and then you turn it off and go do whatever um you'll you'll get some upgrade and you're just like oh my god i remember this spot you know and this game does an amazing job of making those points stand out. Yeah. And they they often do this thing where like you just got an upgrade, you're following the new path that you can go on, and then you'll see another place that you can't get to with your current upgrades, but you'll see it on the on the main path, you know? So it's easy to remember like, hey, I can't make that jump. Once I get the ability to get more airtime on my jumps, I got to come back here. But first, I'm I'm following the main path here, and uh, Hollow Knight does that really well. The one that I remember is like waiting to get the ground slam ability, and then when I got that, I was instantly like, I know three places I have to go explore right now. Now that I can do like the ground pound, and nice. That's the that's the that's the best feeling in a Metroidvania when you know where you should go and like like we said one of those places might just be a treasure but another feather in hollow knight's cap is that that treasure is always good in this game yes yes always good everything is worth something totally 
maybe you'll find some money, which is like the lowest level of treasure, but money is kind of hard to come by for the first 75% of this game. So finding money is always a good thing. And if it's not money, you'll find something that's actually like fucking great to find, like a, a mask shard, which is like your heart pieces in Zelda, or yep. a soul vessel shard, which is like uh, helps you have more mana, or you'll find a badge. We'll talk about the badges later. Mm-hmm. Or even whole secret levels, like we talked about before, or the grubs. And the grubs are super cute, and they're not just collectible nonsense. You get rewards for finding the grubs. So. Yeah, rewards in this game, the treats that you find, they're A+. Uh, one other just brief aside, you brought up Game Maker's Toolkit, and that guy has an amazing channel. Um, he brought up that um, this, this particular Metroidvania does an amazing job where there are actually always like two ways to move forward at any one time. Um, and I think... This is like one of the only games that probably does that. And when you say move forward, I think he means like moving forward to get to the place where like the main quest, the main storyline is taking you. So you can go up through this level or you can go down through this level, but you'll still end up at the same place. Exactly. It's brilliant. It is. Yeah. Like some other Metroidvanias, Hollow Knight is checkpoint based. Think of like save rooms in Metroid and in Castlevania. And in Hollow Knight, they kind of borrow a little bit of Dark Souls with the checkpoints. So you save at benches. Uh, When you rest at a bench, your map will update if you have new stuff that you've explored. And this is your checkpoint and you respawn at the bench when you die. And like Dark Souls, when you die, you lose your money. And you'll start over at the bench. You have to go back to the place you died. You have to fight a ghost version of yourself. It's pretty easy. Um, But you have to beat that ghost in order to get your money back and uh, make your mana capacity, your soul capacity, back to full. And I want to hear your thoughts on this system, Jim, before I give mine. Yeah, so... um... Again, I came to this after playing Dark Souls. So when I first sort of experienced this of, okay, now I got to go find my corpse, um, I was used to the idea. Um, It didn't always bother me. And there's a sharp qualifier there of always. Um, (laughs) There were were times when it bugged me so much. Like there are some really hard platforming sections in this and I'd sort of think to myself like all right I'm just gonna go give this a shot and I die you know 70% of the way through the platforming section it's like okay guess guess that corpse is gone now and just like head off in another (laughs) direction yeah um I do think that Dark Souls um when I died in Dark Souls, it felt more fair to me most of the time. And a lot of my deaths in Hollow Knight felt fair, but um, we'll come back to this later, I'm sure. Some of these platforming sections um, are are not fair. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Like, they're just not fair. Yeah, 
when I said I quit playing Hollow Knight out of frustration my first time, it was because I got locked in this cycle of like, I'm going through a really difficult platforming section. I need to get through this in order to like get back to, you know, the rest of the map. And I just kept dying and I couldn't get through it. And I lost all my money. Like it's like Dark Souls. If you die and you don't get your stuff back, it's gone forever. So I lost all my money. I can't heal as much because my soul thing is at like reduced capacity. And I just kept dying in this platforming challenge. And I was like, this is bullshit. And I quit. Now, I didn't have that problem this time, but like it, it does, you know, it does bear repeating. Like some of these challenges are really hard. And I think the biggest problem with this like bench checkpoint recover your stuff system is that I just don't think there are enough benches. I think that if there were like five more, it would be a lot better. But some yeah. of them are just way too far apart way too far yeah. apart and I, I agree I didn't have this problem as much with uh, bosses because there's usually I can think of a couple of boss runs in this game that really suck I, I'm not a fan of boss runs I don't think it's a I don't think it's a very useful like mechanic really I don't I don't think it helps like the atmosphere or storytelling or anything like that to make you go through you know a minute and a half of platforming just to get back to a difficult boss room mm-hmm. it's usually okay with that in this game though my problem is that there are just some long sections where you'll go on these like difficult platforming runs into like this like kind of you know extension of the map like this place that's not connected to the rest of the map so you have to do this platforming challenge you'll see a bench on the other side sometimes and you'll rest there because you're like, fuck yeah, bench. You'll rest there and then you're like, oh, I have to do that platforming challenge again to get back to the rest of the map. And I think that's where I got locked in uh, my first time. Yeah, you can't see me right now, but I'm I'm crying because I'm remembering some <laughs> of these sections. Like, it, 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 yeah. Some of them are really freaking hard. Yeah. So this is like, if I have a very big criticism of this game, it's that I just don't think there are enough checkpoints. And yeah, I I just, I don't like this system a whole lot. And I think that the losing your money when you die and losing your capacity for healing until you get back to your corpse, I think that's too much. You can pick one of those and I think it would have been fine, but I think it's too much. Valid. Yeah, so uh, we we got into it. Let's so let's just talk about platforming for a second. This uh, this game does involve a lot of platforming, more so than Castlevania games, more so than Metroid games. There is a, a really big focus on platforming, and I think the main thing about the platforming that like the a lot of the challenges are built around is this like pogo system. So when you jump. If you swing the nail down and you hit something, you'll pop yourself back up and you can just kind of repeat this forever. Like, well, basically as long as your skill can um, carry you. So it's similar to Shovel Knight. Shovel Knight has a mechanic like this, but the difference is in Shovel Knight, you just hold the button down and you'll keep pogoing forever. In Hollow Knight, you have to time it correctly every single time. 
which is where it can get really, really tough. And there's some, even in the main game, not even talking about the White Palace, even in the main game, there's some extremely difficult challenges uh, built around going over these long, long, capital L, long spike <laughs> pits. Where if you if you fall down into those spike pits, you're like, you know, you get 75% the, the way through the challenge and you fall down in the spike pit. It's not insta-death, but it might as well be because you're never going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a super unique um, mechanic and one that when I first sort of figured out you could do, because, again, the game doesn't tell you this. You, like, figure it out, basically. Right, right. Um, that when, when you figure it out, I was like, oh, cool. Um, an, another criticism that I want to weigh on Hollow Knight, as good as it is, um, ultimately, the game tries to be a number of different things and, and platforming is where I feel like if you're going to be a platformer, you, you just need to lean heavy into platforming. And this game didn't 100% do that. So there were certain sections, and you brought up one that both you and I haven't been to, this White Palace. Um, but I feel like uh, it, it is borderline unfair because the game, even though it has a lot of platforming to it, it's not a platformer. And for some of these super precise things, I think you you either need to be a platformer or you need to kind of leave some of this behind. Yeah, I I kind of agree. I first of all, I want to say like the platforming, the controls are really really responsive. So this is not like an issue like the game wrote a check that it's like you know it's it's controls can't cash. You know, it's not like that. Um, mm-hmm. You and I both beat the game. We both got through these things. I, I do think some of the platforming challenges are really hard, and it's because of that, like, you know, that that timing. You have to maintain these, like, bouncing off of these things for long periods of time sometimes. Like, you know, if I say a platforming challenge involves, like, 15 seconds of bouncing yourself with these pogo things it doesn't sound like a lot but it is you you have to do it you have to execute 15 times in a row and sometimes it gets really tough now both of us got through it it's not like this is impossible but it is uh it is really hard sometimes you're also combining these pogos with your air dashes and your double jumps and your wall jumps and your uh kind of like uh, all of these other Metroidvania upgrades that you get, which, you know, I I said that's one of the great things about the game is your Metroidvania upgrades are used for these platforming challenges. They're used in boss fights. They're used just to kind of unlock the new levels. I think that's really awesome. And a lot of the times the platforming is fun, but there are just a couple of places where I think it goes too far. Not a game breaker, yeah. but yeah. Just, just how I feel about those. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. So, and we talked about the White Palace. That will, well, that's something neither of us did because it's optional. We'll talk about it in the spoiler section for those who uh, really want to know what it is. I, well, I'll just say it's a super Meat Boy level. 
I watched it on YouTube and you know, I was harboring illusions of saying like, Hey, I'll go try that. And then I looked on YouTube and I was like, I'm not going to try that. That looks insane. That doesn't look fun at all. So, so yeah. Anyway, uh, that's the platforming. We talked about platforming first because it is a, you know, a part of the game, but I don't think it's the main thing most of you know you're not going through platforming challenge after platforming challenge after platforming challenge most of the level screens in the game have very little you know advanced platforming if at if any Mm -hmm. so let's take a little break when we come back we're going to talk about the combat All right, we're back, and we're going to talk about the combat. So, kind of the main thing that stands out to me in Hollow Knight, after like how just how good it is as a Metroidvania, is that I think the combat in Hollow Knight is fantastic. I think it... I mean, it, it's really hard for me to play some of these other Metroidvanias now with, you know, the way they feel, the way that they do difficulty... I think com- the combat in Hollow Knight is really standout. It's fantastic. We'll go into some detail here, but I just want to say that straight off. I love the combat in this game. I I endorse that 100%. I think that it's probably, other than um, what setting atmosphere that we were talking about earlier, I think it's one of the strongest points that this that this game brings to the table. Yeah. So... One of the things that kind of stands out for Hollow Knight, as opposed to other Metroidvanias like Metroid and Castlevania, (laughs) and some of the others that I've played, is that uh, Hollow Knight is a very uh, aerial game. So you have your combat on the ground like you would in Castlevania and stuff, but if you're playing the game right and taking advantage of all of the tools you have, you'll spend a lot of time in the air like above and below enemies too. These are insects, so there's a lot of enemies that fly. You'll need to jump up and hit them. And we talked about that pogo mechanic in the platforming. It's incredibly useful in combat too to just, you know, pogo hit these enemies three or four times from above and a lot of them can't do anything with you if you're good enough to do that. So Mm -hmm. you're really using the whole screen for combat, not just staying on the ground. Yeah, and all the tools that you do unlock um, throughout the game, there's one that you get very early on. Uh, it's like a Kamehameha move. Um, <laughs> yeah, it I'm is. I'm forgetting yeah. the name of it. Uh, but uh, all of these tools that you you get in combat, you can use them, and it's just so fluid. You're kind of like, uh, there are, really aren't combos in the game per se, but you're kind of like making your own and and the game's combat system is fluid enough to kind of what you can imagine you can do, you can do. Yep. There's a ton of customization you can do with your like your magic stuff, which is it's limited, but it is a thing that you can throw into your combos uh from time to time. And that's a good way to put it. Like it's not 
you know, it's not light attack, light attack, heavy attack, light attack, and you'll perform this combo that the game has like programmed in. It's more like you can react to what the enemy's doing. So it's like hit twice from the right, then jump up when they swing and pogo twice while they're swinging forward and they miss you, you hit them. They, a lot of enemies will look up and swat at you if you're above them. So you fall back down when they do that and you continue mm-hmm. attacking. It's, it's yeah, like reactive comboing, I guess would be a good description. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I don't know about you. I would tell you the majority of my deaths in combat came because I would get just a little too greedy and try and get that one or two extra nail hits and then just get bashed in the face by something. Yeah. And that's something that this game shares with, you know, I keep bringing up the Dark Souls comparison. This shares this with Metroid and Castlevania games too. You need to be uh, very smart about when you attack and when you're dodging. And this game is no different. So yeah, you're right. You you can't get greedy. The, the kind of like the regular enemies throughout the levels are not super dangerous until you get to like the later levels, but mm-hmm. you still need to respect them because healing is kind of healing is limited if you're not playing very well or if you're on a corpse run or something like that. So speaking of healing, uh, let's talk about this. So I mentioned before you have a kind of mana pool. They call it soul in this game. And that mana pool is shared between healing and magic. And you get a magic Mm -hmm. spell. It's one of your Metroidvania upgrades. It's the Kamehameha that Jim mentioned. And (laughs) the only way to replenish this is by hitting enemies. So you attack, you attack, you see your your mana, um, you know, sphere fill up and you can use that to heal or to use magic. And if you're like me, you use it to heal almost exclusively because this game's hard. <laughs> I really yes. didn't have any didn't have any mana to spare for magic spells, like really at all. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I probably spent more time healing than I did doing anything else in this game. And in a kind of Dark Soulsy way, when you're fighting really tough enemies a lot of times you have to make that decision where you're like, I have an opening here. I dodged this enemy combo really well. Do I attack or do I heal? Because healing's not instantaneous. It takes a full second or a couple of seconds to kind of get that healing charge down. And Sounds right. I spent a lot of my time in boss fights like, okay, I have to dodge these attacks. And then when I get that free second, it's heal as many times as I can before the next one comes. <laughs> it, uh, I thought that, you know, this is, I thought it's a really smart system. You get healing from the beginning of the game, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's like, literally, you can heal and you can hit things with your nail and that's it. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times... If, if you're having to heal in a boss fight, you're kind of in trouble already. So um, it's, it's kind of making you sweat. Um, a lot of the bosses do have certain wind-ups, and you're like, oh, maybe I can squeeze a heal in here. But the one thing that I really liked was most of them, you'll get to a certain point where they t- almost have to take a breather. And, and you're right. And at that point, you're just like, oh, my God, I need to get two, you know, uh, I need to get two heals out of this or something. 
Yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of parts in the boss fights where you've done enough enough damage where they they kind of they stop and they kind of catch their breath. And if you're in good shape, you can go whack them with the nail three or four times. And if you're not in good shape, you better use that chance to heal. And that that system of like the way you regenerate your soul is really good because you you may get yourself in these situations where like you need to heal, but you don't have any soul. So you have to dodge and hit the <laughs> boss a few times to get enough soul to heal again. And I don't know. I think that helps in kind of like, maybe you're going to die on that attempt against the boss or something like that, but it helps you learn the boss a little bit more and get a little bit of practice. I, I think, you know, that's a, maybe a glass half full way of looking at that, but that's the way I no, feel. No, it's a good way of looking at it. I agree a hundred percent. It rewards aggression, which in a game that's based around combat, you should be doing. Yeah. And in a game that's difficult too. So you have to be aggressive. You, you can't just turtle, Mm -hmm. but you have to also pick your spots and yeah, it's just, it works really, really well. Uh, one more thing about the magic, because it sounds like neither of us used magic much. If you look at people who are like really good at Hollow Knight and doing the like super hard boss rush stuff or like, you know, really difficult stuff, a lot of them use magic and they you can make like a whole build around like really awesome magic stuff. I just couldn't spare the healing. I <laughs> couldn't do it. <laughs> uh we I, we will come back to this i'm sure there's a couple things that i have written down that i wanted to talk about but in a later section um the one thing that i thought was interesting you may have come across this the kamehameha move which uh we've talked about a couple times when you use it in the air it actually like moves you backwards just yeah. a fraction of a like a centimeter and I've seen people like basically kind of get into areas they're not supposed to be by using this as part of their movement. I thought it oh, was brilliant. Cool. That's something that a lot of people value in Metroidvanias is the ability to sequence break. Um, I'm not a sequence breaker, so that doesn't do much for me, but I know there are people who really value that. So that's cool that you can. Yeah, I, I'm not that good either. Yeah, I'm always worried like, if I sequence break and get into a later level and then I'm just going to get trashed by the things that I find there because I'm not supposed to be there yet. (laughs) Yep, yep. So one more thing about the combat before we talk about boss fights is you can get these things called nail arts, which are like, well, they're combat arts, um, special combat moves. If you've played a, you know, action game before, you know what I'm talking about when I say combat arts. Uh, these are found by exploring and maybe doing some like small, small quests. I think they're mostly just like exploring, get through some platforming challenges and you'll find kind of like this dojo place where dude will teach you some combat arts. Uh, I never ever use them in combat because my mind was just full with all of the other things I had to pay attention to. But did you ever use these? I tried to a couple times. Um, a lot of them at least the two that I think I unlocked of which I think there's only three. Um, You have to kind of charge. And so you need to, there needs to be a lot of forethought involved. And when I was coming across, say a boss or a brand new enemy for the first time, 
my mind wasn't on, okay, how can I, yeah, work this, work this new technique into it. So I agree with you. I, I never used them. Yep. Same. By, by the time I had picked these up, I was so kind of set in my combat routine. Like I, mm-hmm. I get into a combat and I know exactly what I'm doing and combat arts were not a part of that. So it's really hard to like integrate it into what I was doing. Yeah. And you're, you're right about that. You said by the time, because what, you don't pick these up until easily the latter half of the game. And by then, yeah, like exactly what you said, you are already playing this game in a very certain way. Like you've learned how you play this game. Right. And these are our experiences. I, I know there's someone listening to this will be like, I love the combat arts and I'm I'm happy for you. It's cool that those are effective. Uh, but yes. yeah, just, just for us, it's just really hard to integrate it. So. Mm-hmm. And rounding out combat is talking about boss fights. We mentioned them before. Jim, how do you feel about the boss fights? Before we get in detail, you like them? Uh, yeah, they're they're very varied, um, and each one is very visually striking. Um, I thought they did a great job. Yourself? Yeah, I, I think they're great, and boss fights are something that difficult 2d action games uh, i don't think they get the right kind of difficulty for boss fights like i'm gonna pick on metroid because i think metroid games have horrible boss fights a lot of them are just (laughs) like you know do you have enough missiles to kind of do enough damage or like Mm -hmm. did you pick up enough health tanks to withstand all of these attacks that are really really hard to dodge Mm mm-hmm Hollow Knight's not like that. It's very skill-based. Obviously, you want to have a lot of, you know, hit points. And you want to have your nail upgraded so you can do as much damage as you can. But uh, I I think this is a game where someone who's really good could just, you know, speed... Well, you could speed run through this and just destroy the bosses. Because uh, just based on your skill, I think that that's possible. For sure. For sure. And... I think the thing that makes the bosses good is that they're extremely learnable. I, I don't want to say that they're pattern-based, like they, you know, he'll do this attack, then this attack, then this attack. I don't want to say it's like that, but all of the attacks have really clear tells, whether they have like a wind-up animation or uh, this game really does great with audio cues for different attacks. I'm specifically mm-hmm. thinking of like, those sounds that Hornet makes before specific attacks. And you have to learn what those sounds mean because the, maybe the windup animation isn't there, but if you learn that sound, you know exactly how to dodge and avoid those attacks. And I, I just don't think a lot of 2d games do boss fights really well. They'll do bullshit stuff like fill the screen with projectiles that you can't dodge or make, um, you know, movements really erratic and hard to predict. And in Hollow Knight, it's extremely learnable and I love the boss fights. They're really hard. A lot of them are really hard. There are some boss fights that took me, you know, 10 plus attempts to beat, 
but I, you know, if I died, I was never like, this is horseshit. How do I avoid those? Like there's some Castlevania fights where I, I've quit entire Castlevania games because I think the boss fights are bullshit. But uh, this game, it hits that right difficulty where if I died, I'm like, okay, I didn't see that attack coming, but next time I will, I'll learn how to avoid that attack and I'll do better next time. It's it's definitely very learnable. All those boss fights um, feel like like you, a true mastery of the game and, and a big sense of accomplishment because, you know, you, you grabbed a piece of knowledge and, and made it work for you. I agree with you 100%. Yep. And again, Dark Souls, I don't, I, I'm becoming a caricature at this point, but this is what makes Dark Souls <laughs> so good is like learning the bosses and that feeling of, you know, mastery on that time when you actually beat it. And Hollow Knight hits that 100%. I really, there are some bosses in the game that I don't like, but I can't think of any that are bullshit, which is uh, an achievement because there are a lot of bosses in this game. Yes, um, of of which I'm sure you and I didn't play quite a few of them. Yeah, there's a lot of optional bosses. And I did some, like, so you have your bosses and you can, you can do like these rematches with some of them. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. do those because mm-hmm. um, I'm not a, a boss rematch type. I talked about that in the <laughs> death's gambit episode too. Um, there's also these kind of mini bosses where you can hit these ghosts with your dream nail, which you pick up throughout the game, a new thing called the dream nail. And you can do like these mini bosses uh, to get, this kind of currency you need for one of the endings. And uh, those bosses are really fun. I didn't do all of them. If I found one, I, I generally tried it three or four times to see if I could beat it. And those are really fun too. So like all told, there's got to be like 30 or 40 bosses and mini bosses in the game. And I think they hit at like an extremely high average. Yes. Um, I'm shocked that you beat any of those ghost bosses i think i tried four or five of them and i'm pretty sure they i got like my face ground in to the (laughs) to the dirt so many times i was like oh i i'm not good enough to do these (laughs) so i'm pretty sure i stopped yeah Yeah. some (laughs) of them are really hard and the there's one boss in particular that we'll talk about in the spoiler section that is like infamous for being like just incredibly hard and I won't talk about that I didn't do it because it's optional but there is kind of an infamous like that boss where like people who have done it can like make a connection with other players where like hey you beat that motherfucker yeah I did all right fist bump you know (laughs) (laughs) and but uh but neither of us did it so we'll talk about it in the spoiler section for those who have you can think to yourself oh they didn't do that shame on them Mm -hmm. and laugh at us yeah but dude the bosses are so good just want to reiterate that yep yep and we'll talk about our favorite bosses in the spoiler section so keep an eye or keep your ears out for that if you're going to follow us into spoiler town kind of the last thing before we get into like wrap up thoughts about the uh, no spoiler stuff is 
the kind of way you can design a build. And we kind of touched on this when we talked about magic, but Hollow Knight is a little, I think it's pretty unique in the way that you can customize your build. Uh, Metroid is not a build game. Castlevania, a lot of like the later Castlevania games, you get some choice in the way to build your character, but you have like insane customization potential here in Hollow Knight. And before I get into what it is, I want to say that this is pretty optional too. You don't have to get into weird, crazy builds. So the way you do this is with these items called charms. And these are items you find out in the world or you buy them or you get them as rewards. And you can equip a certain number at a time. You have these slots and different charms take up different amounts of slots. And you have a maximum of 11 slots if you get everything. And you'll find these as exploration rewards. And it's uh, it's so good to find one of these because a lot of times you're like, I want to equip this charm, but I need one more slot to do it. And mm-hmm. when you find one out in the world, it's the best feeling. Yeah, they, those are those are some pretty clutch finds. So there are over 40 charms in the game. Good lord. To find. Yeah, there's a ton, dude. And uh, <laughs> jeez. Some of them only take one charm slot. Some of them take four. And I think there's even some hijinks with some of them that like they'll like take like half your charm slots or something like that. I don't know. I <laughs> w- w- get into it in here in a second, but just suffice to say there is an insane variety. And so these charms do all kinds of different stuff. Like, for example, the ones that I used in my game are charms to reduce knockback when you get hit, um, charms that give you extra soul when you hit an enemy, charms that speed up your healing animation. That was a clutch one for me. Mm-hmm. There are some that do extra damage. There are some that you know, transform your projectile attack into little, you know, grubs that you throw out. There's all kinds of cool mm. stuff. There's magic spells. So do you uh do you remember what kind of charms you ran with? I I wrote a few down that, that stood out to me. Um I uh used one that um caused these uh, like three or four little spiders to um like kind of form around me and they would um almost be like a little bit of a damage over time. Um, they would come out and they could, they could all, uh, you'd see them like they'd appear around you and they'd run off and they'd chase things and they would do small kind of like kick damage to them. And I'm pretty sure, um, I killed a boss that way just by like hanging out in the background when these spiders attack them. (laughs) Um, and, and like, uh, if they died, I don't think they would take damage for you, but if they died, um, a new one would form in like another two to three seconds. So that one was, once I found it, that was pretty much always on. Um, there was one that didn't necessarily do like a counterattack, but when it was like thorns and when you would get hit, you would project these thorns out of you right. and do damage back. I yep. used that one all the time. Me too. Yeah. Um, and then the one that I'm honestly, you know, once you learned the game world well, you could take this off. But I found the um, 
the compass one. And I, oh. I say the word compass because of Zelda. Right. But it would show you where you were on the map. That was yeah. invaluable. Should have mentioned that during the, the map discussion that in order to see yourself on the map, you have to put a charm on. And you find it really early in the game. I, I don't think it's really uh, possible that you're going to miss it. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I actually, I, I ran with that a lot of the time too. I don't like this. I think I wish they didn't do this, but yeah, I did run with it because, you know, this map is so huge and you're spending a lot of time exploring. You have to know where you are. So yeah, yeah I forgot about that. That's <laughs> that's a major one. It's huge. And it's only one notch, so it's not like it's a gigantic commitment. Um, right. One of the things that you started to bring up as far as builds go, but I just really want to like nail home is um these charms and i didn't do all of them some of them interact in very interesting ways they do totally change the way and the developers knew this and they would start to do some really clever things with it um there was one where if you heal you get a protective shell around you Uh uh-huh um and then there was another one that you'd get that when you started to heal, because when you would hit the button to heal, you got stuck where you were. You had to be on the ground and you were in one position while your character kind of, you know, looked down. Well, there's one that you would get um, where when you started to heal, you could then move around. So they took this shell one and this, when you would move, your character would almost like roll on the ground. Um, they took this <laughs> shell one and this move around one and when you start to heal your character turns from his little bug beetle man into a snail and then he would like crawl around on the ground like they did a whole visual cue for it it was freaking cool that's super cool yeah yeah mm-hmm. those those synergies are something that I know is there and I just didn't I didn't do a lot because I'm I'm not a a build person. I, I don't like experimenting with builds. I tend to find stuff that works and then mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to switch it. So it's really cool that it is there and I know it's a thing a lot of people like about the game. So I'm glad you brought that up. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. I play actually more like you where I'd find a charm where I was like, well, this is great. I'm never taking this off. Yeah. But the fact that they they recognize this to the point that they added in like visual changes is yeah i mean that's that's awesome yeah it's super cool what i did when i was playing is i had kind of two builds that i would switch between i had like my exploring build and then i had my boss fight build and so like when I'm doing boss fights, I would take off the charm that shows your location on the map, and I would take off the charm that is like a magnet that draws all the money to you, which mm-hmm. is like um, mandatory when you're uh, exploring those two things, I think. So I would take those two oh, yeah. off, and I would throw on like a more combat-focused one, like uh, one that like faster healing, like I said, or I... Sometimes I use the one that puts the shell on you when you heal. And uh, the the thorns one was really important for me in boss fights just to get like mm-hmm. a free hit when I get hit, you know? Yep, yep. 
but I had uh, I had two two builds basically. I had my explorer build and then I had my boss fight build. Then I would switch between. I guess I never thought about, but I I bet you I did that too because I remember there's one that you get later on in the game where when you sit down at a bench you get two extra um, health like nodes. Um, and I never used to run around with that, but when there was a really hard boss fight, I remember I would take charms off to then be able to equip that one. So yeah, I guess I did do that too. Yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll be, you'll be like, this was kind of my experience. I'd be like fighting a boss fight and I would die three or four times. And then I'd be like, Oh shit. Like I'm wasting two charm slots on things I don't need right now. I can, <laughs> I can do something to help me in combat. Like, uh, you know, one of those things that increases the amount of soul you get when you hit something. So I'm like constantly topped up on healing potential. All of that stuff was really important. So, and mm-hmm. like the kind of, I want to emphasize again, like I think you and I are talking about pretty simple charm builds. Whereas if you go on Reddit and search like, you know, most effective charm builds or you you watch people who do like the super hard optional boss stuff, there is like uh, almost unlimited potential with this to kind of customize the way you want to play. Yeah. Um, I, I saw one that I never tried and it's that the Kamehameha thing that we're talking about, but instead you shoot out like a gigantic grub. Like it's just huge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Again, yeah, there's like like I said, there's there's over forty of these, and um, you know, I probably only experimented with like fifteen of them. There were a lot of them that I picked up, and I was like, that looks cool. I'm probably not going to use that, but that looks cool. Maybe you know, when I replay this game in five years, I'll mess around with more experimental stuff. But the potential is there if you're a tinkerer, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the last thing to talk about before we get into final thoughts is just to mention that there is like extra DLC content. There's a lot of DLC that's woven into the game itself that you will never notice that was like part of the DLC. You know, if you buy this game tomorrow, you'll never notice a lot of this DLC because it's it's, you know, built into the game. There are some extra things to do, though. There's a DLC called The Grim Troop, which adds like a a quest line and extra bosses to fight and stuff like that. I didn't do it because I, first of all, they do this thing that, um, another comparison to Dark Souls, Dark Souls games are infamous for this too. They hide the DLC in places that like would be just hard to find. Honestly, I'm playing Bloodborne right now almost done with it and I've played Bloodborne before and I still had to look up how to access the DLC because you have to (laughs) you have to do these fucking obtuse things to find it and the Grim Troop is like hidden I don't know how you find it unless you look it up yeah I stumbled into it on accident okay Um, so you did uh, well uh, again you know I I can't imagine being someone playing this game you know, as things were being released, because you probably completed some of these areas and were like, okay, that's over and done with. 
And yep. then they would go back and hide something behind a now breakable wall, you know? And yeah. so how would you know that? Me running through it for the first time with all the DLC on the game, I did stumble across some of them. Yeah. But I did not complete any of them. Yeah. So, like, I found it because I looked up where it is, and I started it, and I, it gave me this quest, like go to these places on the map and fight these, you know, bosses or fight these enemies or clear these combat challenges or something like that. And I was like, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> I really like this game. I really like the combat, but I was like 25 hours in and I was like, I think I'm just ready to finish. So I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. There's another DLC that adds a, like a boss rush, like, challenge boss rush mode and I've talked to some people like former guest on this show Moonborn who was on the D- the Death's Gambit episode the way he described it I was like there's no way in hell I'm doing that that sounds impossibly <laughs> difficult it's that one sounds like challenge mode for sickos <laughs> so just for everybody I didn't dip into this DLC content. I'm sure it's good. I have no reason to believe that anything that's a part of this game is not good. So yeah, just me being like ready to finish and move to another game, not like any doubt that it's going to be fun, except for that challenge mode for sickos boss rush. That That's just not my gamer psychographic right there. <laughs> so... Yeah, let's take a little break. When we come back, we're going to get into final thoughts about Hollow Knight in summary. back so final thoughts before the spoiler section for those who are going to tap out how do we feel about the game the guest gets to go first jim so how do you feel about hollow knight yeah so um i think you said it earlier here better than i could have and uh as a metroidvania and my experiences with other metroidvanias um this is the king of them it does things better than uh, most Metroid, most other Metroidvanias do. Um, it is, uh, you could, Team Cherry, I've looked them up before this. As far as I know, this is their only game. And yeah, at least they, under that name. Yeah, yeah, and they knock it out of the park. I mean, it is a grand slam, just a love letter to everything that ma- makes Metroidvanias good, but um, proceeds to then... Uh, go above and beyond and and literally be the best of all of them yeah I, I really couldn't agree more like I said it before I have some minor gripes and in the grand scheme of things you know 
I complained about the benches. I complained about the platforming. We complained about the platforming. But in the grand scheme of things, those things are not enough to knock this off the throne. I think this is by far the best Metroidvania ever. And it's going to be, it's just going to take an extremely special game to knock this off the top for me. And I've played the others in the genre that people would say is the best. I've played Super Metroid. I've played Symphony of the Night. I've played both of the Ori games. They don't really come close to this, in my opinion. And I, I like a lot of those games, but, you know, Hollow Knight is just a, a special, like, lightning in a bottle. They just crushed it. So this is a... Uh, unless you're a person who would get very, very frustrated by uh, difficult combat or difficult platforming, you know, Jim and I both completed this game. It's not like this game is super... This is not super Meat Boy platforming mixed with, like, the most difficult combat available. I would say it's like a maybe an 8 out of 10 difficulty in both of those until you get mm-hmm. into optional stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I would say this is something that if you like Metroidvanias, you have to play this. This is like this is required reading if you like metroidvanias and just for anyone who likes video games if you think you have like the i'm not trying to like be pro gamer here but if you think you have like the you know the skill to platform and do this difficult combat i think anyone should play this because it's Uh, this is yeah go ahead sorry no i was done I think that this, you know, even for people that don't like Metroidvanias, um, I think that this is the one game that, like you said, required reading, needs to be played. And I think that all further, like future Metroidvanias are going to be, you know, chasing this, uh, chasing the dragon. <laughs> <They're> all, <laughs> all future Metroidvanias are born under the shadow of Hollow Knight. That's how I'll say it. Um, even, yeah. you know, Metroid Dread came out. I played Metroid Dread. I enjoyed it, but it's not Hollow Knight. And I played Ori and the Will of the Wisps. I loved it. It's not Hollow Knight. And it's just going to be really hard to be topped. So I think we've made our point. Uh, this game rules. And we're going to do a little housekeeping, and then we're going to come back with spoilers. So if this is the point where you're going to stop listening because you haven't played Hollow Knight and you want to experience this for yourself before we tell you about the story and talk about boss fights. If this is the point where you're going to tap out, I understand. Go play the game and then come back. This podcast and me and Jim, this version of us, exists outside of time and space. We'll be here when you're ready. So thank you for listening up until this point. And if you would like to support the show, the best thing you can do is to tell your friends about it. And... Follow the social media pages. I am very active on Twitter and Instagram. On Instagram, it's at Tales from the Backlog. And on Twitter, it's, uh, let me see if I can do this from memory. It's TFTBLPod on Twitter. But those links will be in the episode description. Join me and talk about Hollow Knight when the episode drops. I would love to talk about it. I also do a podcast called A Top 3 Podcast where each week me and my friends pick a topic and we pick our top threes in that topic and we discuss. It's a very good time. Jim was a guest on a top three podcast before. We talked about the top three 
video games, movies, music, TV shows, etc. that we were hyped up and then let us down. That was a very fun episode. So go listen to that. Jim also guested on the Hades episode of this podcast. So go listen for more Jim on that episode if you didn't already. Yeah, check out the that top three podcast. Uh, you four are funny motherfuckers. Thank you, buddy. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk spoilers for Hollow Knight. Right, we're back and it's spoiler time for Hollow Knight. We're going to begin by talking about the story. This will not be an exhaustive look at the story because uh, as I explained earlier, this type of game, I just kind of vibe with the story stuff and all of the details, like the fine details here, I didn't actually learn by playing the game twice. I learned by <laughs> watching YouTube videos about it. So... <laughs> Here's how it goes. The A long time ago, the inhabitants of the area worshipped a moth-like deity called Radiance, which is the final boss of the game if you're going for the true ending. Uh, Radiance kind of had a, you know, a grip on the population they had to obey until a warrior known as the Pale Knight defeated Radiance and established the kingdom of Hallownest. But the Radiance began creeping into the dreams of everybody in the game dreams are a big um a big theme in the game i guess dreams have great importance the dream nail yeah you get the dream nail so that you can kind of interact with the dreams and uh you can kill the dreamers which is part of the story so in the past still in the past the pale king uh, who took down the radiance creates these things called vessels, which are soulless husks. And one of the big reveals in the game is that your player character is one of these vessels. You have no soul. You're not really alive. You're just this animated husk with a mask on. And the Hollow Knight, the capital H, capital K Hollow Knight, was sent to this temple called the Temple of the Black Egg, which is very badass when you find it in the game. Mm-hmm. It, it does this cool thing, a, a real sidebar, a very cool thing where you find the Temple of the Black Egg like right at the beginning of the game. And yep. you're like, that shit's cool. Mm-hmm. I hope I get to go inside that. And then that turns out in order to beat the game, that's where you have to go. So the whole game you're remembering like that Black Egg, Temple of the Black Egg. Well, and what for a long time, it's like literally one of the only marked locations on your entire map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the Very only foreboding. like, yeah, one of the only marked landmarks on the map. Mm-hmm. So, back to like the story before the story, the Hollow Knight 
was sent into the Temple of the Black Egg to hold off the Radiance. However, and you don't, I mean, I don't know where you learn this in the game. This, I mean, my, my ignorance of the story is shining. Like I said, I, I literally just, I read this on the wiki. I'm, I'm saying it for people who are listening, who understand it, or people like me who played the game and still don't know what the hell's going on in the story. I did <laughs> the research so you don't have to. So, um, you, you eventually open the, uh, the egg, <laughs> go into the temple and you find that the hollow knight is, uh, corrupted it's it's fallen victim to this infection and like kind of halfway through the game the infection takes over big parts of the map and so like areas that were easy like like the you know the the very first thing you go into when you drop down from the town um that gets taken over by the infection and this formerly easy area is now populated with more difficult enemies i really like how it does that to kind of raise the stakes a little bit yeah that was badass and they shut off certain routes that you used to take as well like they they clog it up with infection that that was one of the coolest parts of this game was going back to the crossroads and being like oh fuck like (laughs) this is terrible now (laughs) this i don't know what this orange goo is but it definitely doesn't look good yeah shouldn't, shouldn't be here Mm-hmm. So that's like this story before the story, and then the story is you as the the knight, one of these vessels. You need to get into the temple of the black egg for reasons that were unknown to me as I was playing. Like keeping it full disclosure here, I had no idea why I was supposed to go in the temple of the black egg. Just that I needed to go there. So. Um, <laughs> you you get this kind of Dark Soulsy thing where you go through the first couple levels, you kill some bosses, and then you get the quest. It's like after you get the Lord Vessel in Dark Souls, where you're supposed to go kill these three dreamers. I think there's three, and yes, you can do them in any order, as far as I know. Some are more difficult than the others, and you you need to get the Dream Nail which will help you like kind of enter their dream and they're not really there are boss fights like leading up to the dreamers sometimes but the dreamers themselves you just like beat the shit out of them they don't really fight back and yeah you just slaughter them and it always made me feel bad it's it it does and this game does a you know i use that term like the the music is all very melancholic um, earlier, but like, yeah, when it comes to some of the final parts of these games, uh, of this game, it's like a slaughter and it does make you feel bad. You're like, I'm a horrible person. Yeah, definitely. It's, there are a lot of games that do this thing where you're like, you're killing your way through the game only to find out that like, you know, maybe, maybe you're not the best, you know, you're not the hero in this story. Now, in this game you are the hero at the end in Mm -hmm. different ways but along the way you're leaving destruction you're killing these dreamers um because well like the plan that was laid out didn't really work and the radiance is making a comeback so yeah you know that was my understanding is they they kind of 
failed. The solution that they came up with was temporary, ultimately. Right. And this is a, we said at the beginning before the spoiler wall, this is a very Dark Souls story. And some people would say that it pretty much exactly follows the story of Dark Souls. So mm-hmm. we can kind of, I know the story of Dark Souls a lot better than this one. Um, again, not through my own understanding, but through podcasts and lore videos and stuff like that. So anyway, let's uh, let's kind of get into the endings here. So you fight the Hollow Knight. I'll talk about that fight in a little bit. You fight the Hollow Knight, you beat the Hollow Knight, and then you get different endings depending on uh, what you did leading up to that Hollow Knight fight. So you and I both got the bad ending, which is called the Hollow Knight ending. That is where you defeat the Hollow Knight and you take its place. These chains erupt from the ground and they they grab you and the temple closes behind you. Uh, now the vessel, the knight, the player character is in the egg and you're the one that's trying to keep it at bay now, basically forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that sounds right. Yeah. I was going to ask you like, so when you were playing, did you understand that this was what was happening? Because I sure as hell did not. Um, after, so again, dark souls, I probably only played that like less than a year before I played this, um, was one of those things where I had to go look up that ending. So when the same thing happened at this one, it was just one of those things of like, all right, I'm going to go figure out what just happened. Um, but yeah, it's very abrupt when you first do it. Like, you're just like, oh, oh, that's it. Like, just chains yep. and that's it. Yeah, definitely. And this is like the bad ending because like the ending of Dark Souls, uh, like the the link, <clears throat> the link, the fire ending in Dark Souls, you are just perpetuating the cycle. You're not fixing anything. You're just continuing it. And this mm-hmm. is bound to happen again. And, you know, another vessel will come and do it again. And the cycle continues forever. Nothing gets fixed. And I, I like that ending. I just, you know, I just wish it were a little easier to understand. And... Some might say, well, hey, Dave, this is your podcast. You're supposed to know this and explain it. Well, (laughs) to you, I say, um, it's not my job to do deep, deep research and teach you what's happening here. I'm just relaying my experience playing the game. So (laughs) there are lots of other podcasts that do this really, really well. If you want details on what's happening, uh, go listen to Bonfire Side Chat. They did a real deep dive on hollow Knight. they can explain it anyway there are other endings that we didn't get um there are two others that i wrote down there is one called the sealed siblings ending where if you collect an item called the void heart charm which i did not and you didn't either because you didn't get this ending um correct during the fight with hollow Knight, hornet comes who we haven't talked about yet, but we will soon. Hornet's a great character. Hornet comes, mm-hmm. and Hornet is sealed inside of the egg with you. So, I would she... argue that that's the bad ending. Yeah, that know? sounds Cause... worse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you just dragged Hornet into your bullshit. 
That's right. And this is obviously not the canonical ending because Hornet is the main character of their next game. So, or unless the next game's a prequel, I don't know. But mm-hmm. anyway, that's that ending. That one is, it seems like it's like the le- the least common because if you're going to do the steps to get that void heart charm, you're probably also going to do the steps to get the dream no more ending, which is what they consider the true ending, which mm-hmm. is uh, you collect the void heart charm and you upgrade your dream nail. The way you upgrade your dream nail is by collecting 1,800 essence. Of course. If you're listening and you haven't played, Essence is another currency you get by doing these kind of dream challenges, doing boss rematches, doing those dream mini-bosses I talked about. And I had 700, I think, at the end. Oh, my God. And that's, how that's, many did you have? Um, Those dream trees, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, um, yeah. You, like, I think... I did a couple of those and you get like 20 at a time. So I probably didn't even have, I probably didn't even have 300. Yeah. So I had 700 and I thought 700 was a good amount. So (laughs) me too. (laughs) Yeah. So I thought this, this was like, you know, I, I did some research and I was looking like, okay, so I have 700, what do I do with all of this? And I kind of searched and it was like, okay, you have 300, you can get this upgrade, 500, the person will do this. And you get some upgrades along the way. And then I saw 1800 to unlock the the real ending. And I was like, oh, I'm not doing the real ending, I guess. I'm not <laughs> collecting 1800 of these fucking things. I'm not doing all the things it takes to get all that. So... Um, another thing that you have to do to get the true ending is you have to go through the White Palace, which if you're like me and you didn't play it, Jim, have you seen the White Palace? Um, I've seen, so I didn't watch it on YouTube like you did. Earlier I was saying that, you know, I, I felt like this game did some platforming wrong. And I'm specifically talking about the the snippets of the White Palace that I saw. Okay. There are like buzz saws that will come out of nowhere and just like fly past half the screen and if you just happened to be unlucky and sitting in a certain spot like there goes your run you know Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of what i was talking about i felt like seeing some of that i'm like okay that's not fair yeah and to be fair to be kind of fair that's optional you don't have to do it neither of us did but on the other hand if you want the real ending and you want to fight the real final boss you have to do it and this was also so it was kind of like a half and half my decision was made half by needing 1800 essence and half by seeing what the white palace was all about and i was like okay i'm not doing that <laughs> i watched a watched a speed run of the white S, the white palace which was pretty impressive and that also so- told told me like nope not me (laughs) you've so you've watched a video on it just i mean for the viewers at home just tell me how chaotic it is yeah so like you said it's like 
I mean, I said it before the spoiler wall, it's a super Meat Boy level. There's buzz saws coming out of the floor, like 90% of the floor is filled with spikes, so you only have certain safe areas, and those safe areas are not safe all the time. So it's like, you have to learn, it's like you have to learn precise timing and platforming execution all at the same time while learning like where the hazards are when they come out and where I need to go and I just saw that and I was like no I mean I, but, I but like for, this game go ahead <laughs> but but not that much right but for yeah. how long I mean like what give what was even the speed run you know they probably did it for what two minutes or something yeah the, I want to say the speed run I watched was like a couple minutes and so <laughs> Looking at that, I I just kind of got this feeling like this would take me like three hours to get through <laughs> and it just doesn't look very fun. And uh, yeah, so like it's all part of the true ending. And so anyway, White Palace, neither of us did it. I, I'm speaking way beyond my area of expertise now, just wa- having watched a few videos of it. I know people have done it. It is possible. So the true ending, you beat Hollow Knight and then Radiance comes out. Radiance is the final boss and Radiance has its own reputation among the like asshole bosses in the history of gaming. So have you seen (laughs) Radiance, Jim? No, I have heard strictly through that Game Maker's Toolkit, which we brought up before, how unfair he is. I don't yeah I I mean this is Hollow Knight I would hesitate to say that it's unfair but it's it, it looks extremely difficult like even people who got through the White Palace to get to the Radiance fight quit playing this game because of how difficult the Radiance is like people who are good enough to get to that point all the things we talked about and how difficult they were got to the radiance fight and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and we're just like you know what i can't do this and they quit playing (laughs) so there's there's this like true final boss that you have to fight and it is sufficiently difficult and uh, again i didn't do it it looks really hard because it's like it's platforming and fighting the hardest boss in the game at the same time is it one of those things like you were saying earlier where there's just lasers everywhere and it's again it's not like fill the screen with unavoidable garbage but the screen is full of stuff and you have to you have to jump from platform to platform while dodging all of these projectile attacks while dodging i assume you know the radiance like actually trying to hit you or shoot lasers at you and stuff like that. It's a lot. The screen is, you have very few safe places at any given time and you're platforming up these platforms while you're doing all this. Great. Great. <laughs> yeah. So if you played hollow Knight like us and you didn't do this, uh, go look on YouTube, search, a you know, no hit radiance fight. You'll see what we're talking about. It's ridiculous. So, Anyway, after you beat the Radiance, uh, you destroy the source of the infection, but the knight is destroyed as well. 
So a sacrifice to kind of break the cycle and break the infection, just like the ending of Dark Souls, where if you, um, you know, snuff the flame, your character is going to die. The Age of Fire will come to an end. It's an analog to that. But you do break the cycle. Uh, this is a video game, so making sacrifices like that is usually pretty easy. No problem with that. If I had the choice. Mm-hmm. So that's how the story ends. Um, I really feel like I just talked out of my ass for the last 15 minutes. So if anyone, you know, has something that, you know, something I got wrong, sorry, I didn't experience, you know, the true ending and stuff like that. And I already said my piece about how um, not even like when I was complaining about the true ending, the stuff you have to do to be able to go to the White Palace is so obscure that I don't, I just don't know how people do it without a guide. Yeah. So I mean, anyway. minus the eighteen hundred soul things, it's sending you to the furthest corners of the map to go find things that you know. If you didn't look up it in a certain area, you will miss the whole thing. The whole thing. Yep, just like both of us did. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about some fun stuff. Let's talk about our mm-hmm. favorite bosses uh, before we wrap yes. this up. So, mm-hmm. uh, Jim, give me a boss that you really like. Uh, I noticed that I, I think both of us really like the, the Mantis Lords. Yes. They honestly, uh, they feel like a like a real fight, and and the way that the they portray the whole thing is awesome. The Mantis Lords show up, they bow to you, and like it's a very honorable fight. But uh, you, I really felt like that was a a true test of skill. I loved that fight. Yeah, and this is an early fight in the game. Like without going and looking at the list, this has to be like within the first five bosses you fight is the Mantis Lords. And so here's the funny thing. I did ahead. this way late in the game. Did like, you? I think, oh my God, yeah. And it was still like even a true test of skill at that point. But I would tell you that that was probably one of the last five bosses that I fought. Interesting. Okay, so non-linearity. There we go. This is like, mm-hmm. this is you know, I've played this game twice and the path that I took both times took me to the Mantis Lords really early in the game. And I can see how it would keep going. Yeah. And so what I like about the fight is it's a super precision fight. They're not on the screen the whole time. They're constantly like ducking in and out of the screen, dive bombing down or coming across the screen you have to dodge their attack, get your hit in really quick because they're going to jump off the screen again. And then suddenly another one jumps in the fight. And then you kill that one and another one jumps in the fight. And now you have to fight. You've probably died a few times learning one of their attack patterns. So as soon as you get mastery on one of them, now there's two of them. And they're doing the same attacks, but there's two at the same time. And it's just a really great what I felt was like an early game test. Like, 
are you ready to fight these bosses and learn their attack patterns? The Mantis Lords was a great early game test of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I will throw out another boss that I really like, which is Hornet. Specifically, the second time you fight Hornet. The first first time you fight her is fun and it's challenging. The second time you fight her, you you just really get this feeling like you're in a duel with maybe not even an equal, maybe someone who's way better than you, much more skilled than you are. And the I I talked about her kind of like audio cues during the fight. The, her kind of her shouts as she throws out her different attacks with her uh, needle it's I don't know it's just a really fulfilling boss fight to learn and master I know it's one of the most difficult in the game a lot of people say it gives them a lot of problems but you know I had a great time learning especially the second hornet fight it, she's she's a great pick um, I I loved her too I really like how that first fight like you said with these visual cues and these audio cues it carries over into the second fight obviously the second one is much more difficult but like if you remember that first fight it will age you in the second fight as well yep definitely and maybe there's like eight to ten hours in between when you fight the two hornet fights but you still do remember some of that stuff and they throw in mm-hmm. a little bit of like fake outs, like things that s- attacks that sound like other attacks, not exactly the same. It is fair, but you, especially that one where she throws her needle in the air and does like this big area of effect, almost like a cloud with uh, her needle. Um, mm-hmm. You have to learn like the subtle difference in the audio between that and the one where she just throws the needle forward. Because if you mistake it, you'll jump right into the you know the big AOE. <laughs> so exactly. actually, with with the Hornet fight, there's a hidden bench really close to that fight that I kind of stumbled on exploring. Like I got to where I felt like there was going to be a boss fight soon, and I was like. I should go check out that other path and that other path turned out to be a hidden bench and I can't imagine like missing that. Well done. Uh, I don't know if I ever found that one. It's pretty close. Um, I want to say it's like, you know, three or four screens before you get to the Hornet boss arena, you kind of go above the surface and there's like a snowy area and there's a bench up there. Nice. Nice. Give me another boss that you like. Um, Umu. He's he's the big jellyfish. Okay, cool. Um, I I liked him mostly because um, his boss fight stands out as very unique because um, this is one of the few times that you get help in a boss fight. Right. Uh, I forget this other bug's name. Um way back at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about how the vast majority of this game, you're alone. There are 
a few bugs that you bump into over and over again that kind of tell their own story. And this bug you bump into, um, and he's sort of like more of a samurai style um, bug. Right. And he he shows up and, and aids you in this boss fight. I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. There's another fight, and I, I can't remember the name. I didn't write this down. There's another one where you get help from the uh, Siegmeier, you know, Dark Souls analogy, another traveling mm-hmm. knight type character. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's a really hard fight. It's one of the hardest. I think I died at least 10 times and you get help from this other character. And when you go to strike the death blow, the, the boss like kind of impales your buddy and you're like, Oh shit. And then your buddy like, delivers the death blow right before dying herself and it's a really cool moment oh i don't remember that that sounds great yeah super cool another Um, boss give me give me one go ahead yeah another one i like is the dung defender which i put him in here not that the fight is super fun but the the sound design on the dung defender and his like he's a very like jolly uh, sounding knight type character the sounds during the fight are just very funny uh, you know a, a dung beetle is inherently funny and the the devs did a good job kind of leaning into humor with this fight and it's a it's a challenging fight too it is it offers something different but you're right the sound design actually for him is probably the best yeah i should cut in while we're talking about him i should cut in some uh like dung defender audio like that (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, any others you want to talk about i just uh two that i want to mention real quick um the false knight is I believe the first boss fight that most it people is, are yeah. going to really come across. I thought it is actually a, a great way of of introducing boss fights to them. I think he's he's a good fight. I think he's a fair fight, and it, it makes you realize kind of what this game has in store. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a good one to teach you because like the enemies up until then are pretty easy. And you'll get to the the false knight, and um, it's a kind of like wake up, like oh, if I'm not ready, if I'm not paying attention, if I don't learn that big attack wind up, I'm gonna get smashed by this boss. Mm-hmm. So, and then um, I'm briefly gonna just sort. Of, there are a number of like not even DLC, but hidden bosses in the game. Yep. Um, I'm I'm not gonna get into them, but like there's like a giant fluke marn. Um, and then obviously the spirits we talked about there is this boss fight at the kingdom's edge where the boss literally just runs away from you the whole time you fight it in like this giant arena and (laughs) it's like throwing ninja stars and like dropping bombs and stuff spending the whole fight running away from you um i literally never beat it because it was one of those times where i ran out of soul and it was just like i can't keep chasing this thing so uh, it just sort of stands out to me as, again, content that they had the balls to be like, eh, if they find it, they find it. If they don't, 
like who cares but uh what about you any any other bosses or words on the bosses yeah so like the the only other boss that i wrote down and like uh, before i we wrap up talking about bosses i i just want to say just because I didn't mention a boss here didn't mean that I didn't like it. You know, I have a section here for boss fights I didn't like, and it, there's just one. So <laughs> I really like the mm-hmm. bosses in this game. Um, the other one I really like is the Hollow Knight fight at the end uh, because it's kind of a, like, anti-climax because ho- the Hollow Knight's one of the easiest bosses in the game. By that point, you're pretty good at the game, you have a you know a fair fight at the beginning and it's difficult but it gets easier as you go along because the hollow knight the infection starts to get so bad he starts stabbing and damaging himself to mm-hmm. like fight the infection and it's it's really brutal it's really sad uh, at the same time and it makes the fight a lot easier cuz half the time he's not attacking you he's like literally like plunging his sword like into his like abdomen trying to get this infection out and thematically it's super sad as a boss fight it's cool how it starts out hard and then gets way easier as it goes on yeah um i it's funny that you mentioned that i i remember exactly what you're saying and during those times when he's doing that um i remember thinking to myself man i'm doing so good because i had like upgraded my nail to max and everything mm-hmm. so i was like oh dude i'm just a bad like a badass at this game but you kind of are making me view it through a different lens and i mean that's great that that i can still kind of sit back and look at this and be like wow that's such a way of of like reframing this entire ending of the game yeah, and it's kind of like a anticlimax the way that Gwyn can be an anticlimax at the end of Dark Souls. I'm just I mean I'm just mm-hmm. leaning fully into this comparison now, you know. Uh, <laughs> if you know how to parry in Dark Souls, Gwyn's one of the easiest bosses in the game and it it just kind of works out this this way in this game too, but it, it's cool how the the Hollow Knight is not this insane fight. It gets pretty easy. Uh, once you get through his first phase and he starts hurting himself. So mm-hmm. um, before we wrap this up, any bosses that you didn't like? Only one comes to mind. Uh, again, just like you, the the boss the bosses are awesome in this game. Um, the only one I didn't like was the uh, Watcher Knight. Um, it's, it's like a sort of a beetle and slowly as you're... It's before you get to one of the dreamers. Slowly as you start to kill it, more start waking up and before like before long you're fighting like four of them at once and yeah i thought that one was really frustrating yeah that fight sucks i didn't write it down on here but i hated hated that one so there's two that i didn't like i i didn't like how you know hollow knight very rarely resorts to like cheap things to make things difficult and just you know making you fight seven copies of the same boss feels kind of cheap Oh, and they're like bouncing around and rolling around. You're just like, yeah, it was lame. There's a there's a secret path in that level. You can get above the arena and drop a chandelier that kills one of them, maybe two, but at least one of them, and that helps a little bit. But it's still still very hard. Dude, what secret? Fu- All right, 
(laughs) secret goddamn chandeliers okay go ahead (laughs) yeah this game's full of stuff um the uh the boss that i didn't like is the it's called the brooding molek and it's it's like a a mortar cannon basically and it's just filling the screen it's like take it's shooting like lava onto the floor so it's taking away all of your safe area and i just didn't like it it's just not very fun it's not very difficult it was just kind of like find a safe place jump up whack it find a safe place jump up whack it it takes a little bit too long i wasn't a big fan so that's that's really my only one those two that we talked about in a game that has you know 30 plus bosses not a bad ratio at all Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I forgot to mention one I did like, and this is one that a lot of people don't like. Uh, people say it's hard. It's called the Soul Master, and this is like a you know floating wizard type thing that's throwing orbs at you and doing these ground pounds that send shock waves. And I thought that was a really fun fight to learn. And there's kind of a fake out, like you think you beat it, but surprise, second phase. And oh. I don't know. It was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. And I like how its attacks, it's doing these ground pound attacks. Its attacks mirror the fact that once you beat it, you get the ground pound ability. Yeah. Um, he was probably like the third boss that I fought. I I didn't love him. Um, I think he's a fine boss. I don't dislike him at all. Um, but I, yeah, I did not expect... Uh, like a ground pound move to come out of him. I thought, you know, soul and you're getting all these spells that you were going to get some crazy thing. And it's this weird ground pound move. I don't know. Just interesting. Yep. Yep. So any other kind of thoughts before we wrap this up? No, I mean, we already sort of gave final thoughts, but again, just to reiterate, um, I, I have so nothing but praise for this game. And we did like kind of lay out a few gripes, but, um, they're so minor in the grand scheme of things where I can easily call this a 10 out of 10. Yep. 10 out of 10 is not something that I easily throw out there. I try not to be really hyperbolic, though I do enjoy most of the games, all the games that come on this show. You know, if I like it enough to beat it and talk about it on the show, it means I probably enjoy it. But Hollow Knight is a definite 10 out of 10, and Hollow Knight Silk Song will probably not be released by the time this episode comes out but i that that is a like no questions asked day one buy sit down drop any other games i'm playing play silk song the second it comes out because of how good hollow knight is Mm -hmm. i have high hopes yeah so jim thanks for coming on the show dude it's been a blast talking hollow knight with you thanks for having me yeah you got me anytime you want me on hell yeah So for anyone who's stuck it out this long, thank you for listening one more time. And the things you can do to support the show, the best thing to do is tell people about it. Word of mouth is very good, but also good are ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or other platforms that allow it and subscribing and talking to me on social media. Like I said, I'm super happy to talk about any video games really, but if you want to talk about Hollow Knight, you know we're we're over two hours now talking about it we love this game i'm happy to talk about it some more so thank you for listening i will see you next time 